0: To pray again. I'll go ahead and pray. Bow your head, close your eyes. Lord, we do thank you for many blessings. God lead and direct. Lord, we thank you for the special music. Thank you for Ashley spending the time and being dedicated and learning piano and singing and uh, glorifying thee in music and song. And Lord, we just uh, ask that you give her a special blessing because of that. Lord, we just... Uh, uh, know that you are uh, up in heaven. You hear those things, and it glorifies Thee. And we are so thankful in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Boy, what a blessing! Um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter twelve. John chapter twelve. We'd gone through the first eight verses, and um, the title of my message is for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake, and. You'll hear people say that, you know, for God's sake. And it's really taking the Lord's name in vain when it's done in vanity. No purpose, it's just a saying. And here it is in John chapter 12, verse 9. much people, the Jews, therefore knew that it was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. On the next day, much people uh, that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees. And went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had been that they had done these things unto him. So this is what they call Palm Sunday, and um, that's what it's referred to here uh, before he died. Uh, But I want you to go back to verse 9. And it says that they did not this for Jesus' sake. And I want you to understand that we ought to do everything for Jesus' sake. You have a job. You work for Jesus' sake. You have a, a ministry. You have a marriage. You have... Parenting, you're a, you're a child you know, to your parent. I mean, whatever it is, we should do everything for Jesus' sake. And it's in there several times uh, where it talks about uh, Jesus' sake or it talks about God's sake. And uh, we won't necessarily go through those, but I want you to look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And um, look at verse... 30. So we're at Romans 15, look at uh, verse 30. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So here he is talking about prayer, and he's talking about striving together, and he says, do it for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. You know, if we keep that in mind, that we're doing all things for His sake, because of Him, it'll keep us focused, it'll keep us understanding, listen, this is is why we are who we are, this is why we do what we do, and and, and it'll keep us to a point where we will always be focusing on glorifying Him. Another passage you can look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You might think this just has to do with preachers, but really it doesn't. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse... 5, verse 4, let's start there, or verse 3. Man, we could just do the whole chapter. Just kidding. Verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. So we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So again, we're servants for Jesus' sake. Uh, We do it for His sake. That is why, if you keep that in focus, you will be able to understand why things go on in the world better. You'll understand why people react to you in a certain way. Do it for Jesus' sake. And then if people reject what you say, which doesn't happen as often as you might think, there are people looking for answers. They're looking for the truth. This world is turned upside down. Things that are, uh, they were once uh, you know, pretty much understood that it was wrong are no longer considered wrong. Right is being accepted as wrong, and wrong is right. And, and we've got to understand that's the way it's going to be. But you have the answers if you know your Bible. If you know your Bible, you can go to people and you can say, listen, this is what the Bible says. And again, you do it in a loving manner. You don't have to be belligerent or ignorant or arrogant about it. Just talk to them the same way you would want to be talked to. Look at another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We were just there. Look at verse 11. And I already left, so I got to go back. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, For we live, I'm sorry, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He said, We're delivered unto death for Jesus' sake so that His life can be manifest in us. The worst thing in the world is not death. The worst thing in the world is death without Jesus. If you have Jesus, listen, do everything for His sake. Even death is for His sake. Lazarus, when he died, he said, Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. Imagine that. He waits a couple more days after he hears from Mary and Martha that, hey, Lazarus, the one you love, the one you love is sick. And he doesn't come immediately. You'd think, well, Jesus would come right away if He really loved Him, but that's our thinking, not His thinking. And if He does everything according to the glory of God and always according to the will of God, what He does is right. Why do you? How do you know that? Because He did it. That's the same thing with God now and our relationship with Him. The reason things happen the way that they happen is because God is always right and what He does is always right. So we do it for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 9 again. Let me make one more uh, point here before we move on. But notice that the people didn't come for Jesus' sake only, but they came they could see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, I can't fault them for that, but that is like a rock star mentality. You know, I've got somebody coming in toward the end of the month that I, I've mentioned to just one or two of you, and, and uh, you're going to be shocked at this. It, 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 it's, it's the day before Memorial Day. Um, I heard her speak at uh, the Crispy Warriors. And uh, what that is, is a bunch of uh, guys that get together every Thursday morning for breakfast. And they're called the Crispy Warriors because they like crispy bacon. Who doesn't? If you like to wrap it around your finger, I'm sorry, it's not really bacon. Uh, It's just my preference. But I heard, she came in Thursday and and she spoke and I was enthralled. So right before Memorial Day, I'm thinking, oh, this will be perfect. Uh, I'm going to have her at the Republican Club for Thursday, and then after that, I'm going to have her here at the church. This is her story. Her brother, for the Vietnam vets, was interned in the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier until they found out that he was not unknown. And the government fought her, because she was the leader of the family, fought her in getting... his remains dug up, but they finally proved it enough to where they could get the government to listen to him. And they dug him up, and it was her brother. And it gave closure to the family. Now, I will tell you this. Uh, Vietnam was a very difficult time. People came back from that war, and they were not accepted by society. By you know, There they they were a lot of people that said, you know, well, uh, the war is wrong, and, and the problem is to separate the soldier from the war is very difficult. And so they came back, and in this instance, her father would sit down in in the basement area and have all of his awards up there on the wall, and just sit there all day and drink and get drunk and look at that. And it was a very sad thing. She told it at the very end. It was, she was actually asked the question, and then they got divorced. The the mother and her mother and father got divorced, and they weren't even invited to the funeral. But later on, they. The, this lady was asked, have you, seen your father's, um, have you seen our father's tombstone? On the tombstone it said his name and it said underneath the father of Lieutenant and the young man that died, the tomb of the unknown soldier. I mean, that was on his gravestone. It broke his heart. And that's what war does. You know, war basically, according to what a lot of people say, is God's judgment upon man. That's what war is. It's not a good thing. We should never look forward to going to war. I got somebody that called me and they were doing a poll. I never do the polls. I did this one. And they asked me, well, what do, you, do you think we ought to send soldiers over to Ukraine? I'm like, no. It's just a quagmire. You just go over there and you get in this quagmire. Hey, send them some missiles. you know. But, even, but you look at both sides, there's all kinds of... It's just very difficult situation. But when you look at this Bible, everything should be done for Jesus' sake. How ought you to pray? You ought to pray for Jesus' sake. You ought to not be coming together because, and I guess I got on this because I'm going to have somebody come in, and uh, her story is enthralling. I mean, I asked her where the book was, and there's not a book written about it yet. And I told her, I said, look, I've written several books. I said, I may be interested in doing something like that, even though I don't have the time to do it. I feel like that story is so important, and it's so important for healing. Our Vietnam vets, most of them are, are you know, passing off the scene now because of so many years ago. My dad came back from Vietnam and struggled with it for many years. Uh, he got the Bronze Star during the Tet Offensive, and um, he's 86 years old. And so you know, he didn't struggle as much as the young men that came back. You've got 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds that come back from that. And I mean, it, it's just demoralizing to know that you're drafted, you go over there, And your country doesn't accept you, you know. But but again, the key is Jesus. The key is Jesus. I'll tell you one more thing. So, um, she was raised in religion, but when she was fourteen, she told me this, and I it just blew me away. She says, "I came to know the Lord," and I went, "Wow!" And I said, "Tell me about it." And she told me the story, and I was just I was just so thrilled to death. So anyway, let's get back to John chapter twelve. Look at verse ten. The Bible says, but the chief priests consulted, they might put Lazarus also to death. And then it tells you why. Because that that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Notice they went away. They believed on Jesus. They were so concerned about their position. Remember, the Bible says they put Jesus on that cross because of envy. Because of envy. Look at chapter 12, verse 42. Chapter 12, verse 42 Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. What a sad thing to think that you can't confess Jesus because you're worried about what other people think. You have got to get in your mind where you are not so conscious of what people think about you as a Christian, unless you're doing wrong. I tell, I tell people all the time, look, I do, I do what I can do to help people. I, I try to live right, and when I fail, I don't get all wrapped up in, in well, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have said this, or I, I used to do that. But now I look at it and I go, what was my heart's intent? Did I mean to do right? Yes. Then I can't get all wrapped up in worrying about everything else. That's how I have to be because, listen, if you try to go back and fix everything, and most of the people that you go and talk to and you say, listen, I'm really sorry I said, and they look at you and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. But let me tell you this. I I also go back and do that. I go back and I'll say, hey, I'm sorry that I said this. And even if their response is that, I have to do what I'm supposed to do. And it's an individual thing. You have to get so in tune with God that you know what you're doing, what you're saying, and why you're saying it is what God wants. And then you leave the results up to God. You can't get all wrapped up in it and go, well, you know, I just... You'll drive yourself crazy. Look at what, by reason of Him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, went forth to meet Him, crying, and look at what they said, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, the last time they had that type of... um, interaction was when they brought the ark of the covenant back in 1st Chronicles chapter 15 there was this big ruckus boy the ark was coming back now Jesus coming back in into the city and they have the same type of thing look in your bible at Psalm 118 here's where the quote is coming from Psalm 118 verse 26 is where the actual quote is but we're going to read the context starting in verse 22 Verse uh, 22 of Psalm 118. Let me get there. I'm in 119. doesn't work. Verse 22. The stone which the builders refuse has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, songs are sung like that. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord... O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Do you know what Hosanna means? Look at verse 25. He says, Hosanna, it means save now. In other words, what they were looking for and what they were expecting was a king to come in and deliver them from the Romans. A king to come in and destroy all their enemies. They did not understand that He was going to go to the cross. He was going to die on that cross before He was ever going to be the Savior of the world. He had to die in order to save us. He needed to be the Redeemer. Look at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, look at verse 20. The Bible says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression. And Jacob saith the Lord, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, My Spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in their mouth, "...shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of thy mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth forever." That is the millennium that he's talking about. So what they're looking for is they're looking for a millennial promise when Jesus is going to become King of kings and Lord of lords. They are not looking for somebody that's not going to defeat their enemies. When he went to the cross, they said to him, "...come off the cross." Well, he can come off the cross because he came to die on that cross. But Israel couldn't tell the difference in between the first coming and the second coming. The return to this earth or the first coming in order to be born of a virgin and to die on that cross. And then the second coming when he's going to come back and destroy all of his enemies. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now this will give you the context of what I'm talking about. They are looking for uh, a Redeemer, for redemption. They're looking for him to come back and again, destroy all the enemies. Look at verse 38. Luke 2 verse 38. We'll start in... well, you just... verse 38. And she coming in that instant... Gave thanks likewise on the Lord and spake of Him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. What are they looking for? Redemption in Jerusalem. They're looking for a king to come back. And that is not why Jesus came the first time. Luke 24, the very end of the book of Luke, says the same type of thing. Luke 24 is the last chapter in Luke. What are they looking for? Luke 24, look at verse 21. These guys are on the road to Emmaus. Jesus catches up with them in verse twenty one. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They were looking for redemption. They were looking for somebody to come and deliver them physically from their enemies. Listen, you know what you and I need to be looking for? Is a savior. A savior. When you come to Jesus, you're not looking for, well, you know, I just need deliverance from this thing I have. Listen, He may give you that deliverance. He can give you that deliverance. He will come in, He will live in your heart for the rest of your life. But you've got to be looking for the Savior, the one that's going to forgive your sins, the one that became sin for you who knew no sin, that you might be made the righteous of God in Him. You need to be looking for the right Jesus. You don't need to be looking for King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the future. He's going to do that. It's after the rapture. It's it's after the second coming. It's after the seven-year millennium. It's It's still a ways to go. We're not looking for that. Who are we looking for? We're looking for the right Jesus. And everything you do, do it for Jesus' sake. Do it for Jesus' sake. Israel's not looking for an individual Messiah. They're looking for a national conqueror. Um, Zechariah 9.9 9 talks about that same thing. And if you read through that whole thing, they're looking for that second coming. And you'll see in Zechariah 9, you'll see the first coming and the second coming, and they didn't differentiate between the two. And that's the problem. Look at what he says in verse 14 again. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when he was glorified. That means when he's resurrected to the Father. Then remembered they these things that were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Look at John 2 verse 22. This is one of the most important things you can make sure you get this morning. Is that the apostles did not understand the death, burial, and resurrection prior to the cross. And you'll see that starting in verse 19. John 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, talking about his body, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about the temple buildings, who he did say would be destroyed. Verse 20, "...then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days?" They don't understand. But He spake the temple of His body. That's very clear. Verse 22, "...when therefore He was risen from the dead." Notice the context. This is is three years later. "...His disciples remembered that He had said unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said." Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he had did. They did not understand the scripture until after the resurrection. So important to understand it. Nobody's looking forward to the cross. Luke chapter 9, they go out and they preach the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom. There's healing attached to it. Luke 18, he tells them about the death, burial, and resurrection. And they understood none of these things. This saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things that were spoken. And then in Luke 24, he opens up their eyes. So you see the whole book of Luke. They're preaching the gospel 9 and 18. They're told about the death, burial, and resurrection, but they don't understand it. Luke 24, he opens their understanding. And in John chapter 2, verse 22, he says, They did not understand until after the resurrection. That is important to understand because you can't, you can't, take every, you can't say everybody's looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. Not a problem. Of course we look back to the cross. But not everybody else understood that thing. And here it is too, when they threw those palm branches down and they, and they, were, they were singing these things. Now remember, they're going to crucify him. How fickle is the crowd? Do you know that you can, have, you can have popularity beyond comprehension and the next day, it's done. I think about Joe Paterno. I graduated from Penn State. Joe Paterno, man, he was looked at as, as the prime example uh, of good football. Did he know? I don't know. Should he have done more? Likely. And what happened? One day later, he's the piranha. And I tell you what, it's like gaining the whole world. Don't lose your soul. Don't look for popularity in the world. It's like where I am now in in, in the community. I have a lot of things going, but I've told you time and time again, if it dries up tomorrow, it dries up tomorrow. I have enough things going where if it dries up, I'm still going to get a drink of water because I can just go in another direction. But I'm just telling you, it isn't. you've got to be careful about this thing. Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Everything is about your heart's condition. Everything. What are your motives? Why do you do what you do? They took Him and they crucified Him. Why? Because he was a bad man? (laughs) No, they'd rather have a murderer released. They wanted to kill Lazarus. Why? He was a bad man? Envy. Why do you do what you do? And I'm not saying anybody in here is all envious and, and you've got all these things that we're talking about here. What I'm saying, though, is if you can keep that in the forefront of your thoughts, to always look at your motive why you do things, it'll help you tremendously. Verse 17, the people therefore that was with him when he had called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. So they bear record of what was done. And, and this is the record. So you have the record. The record is right. People can If this thing says, you know, the devil that he lied, is the lie true? No, but the record of the lie is true. So they bear record. So the record is right here. So when they bear record, you can't argue with a record, like you go to court. The court reporter writes it all down and, and types it all out. That's the record. Well, there's a lie in it. doesn't matter. Is the record true? That's what we're looking at. In other words, this is we're fortunate in both respects. Not only is what was said true, but the record about what was said is true. So we have this record, verse 18. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. The whole world's going after Jesus. Can you, I mean, I can't even imagine during this time and and during uh, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when those unlearned and ignorant men stand up and they start preaching and and, and people are listening to them. And and here you've got the Jews' religion, and then Jesus comes on the scene and everything changes. Now it's all about Christ and Christianity. And, And we look at it now and we think about, you know, if you go anywhere, most everybody... I'll be honest with you, other than California, I mentioned Jesus Christ out there one time, and somebody didn't even know who he was. Of course, they didn't know who Rush Limbaugh was at the time either. <laughs> I was on a plane, I mentioned his name, and they were like, who? I'm thinking, man, he was, back in his day, you know, he was so popular. But you, go, you, get, you get someplace, listen, there, there are people that, that you think everybody's on the same page. You've got to realize we're not on the same page. There, there are a lot of people that don't know about Jesus, down here in the South, we're spoiled. You go up there to New York and you knock on some doors and, you know, there, you got a whole lot more opportunity to catch somebody that has no understanding because uh, the environment's sometimes different. Of course, they're in upstate New York. Listen, upstate New York is not New York City. You you always have to realize there's a big difference. When you look at New York, it, It's it, it's... The same color we are down here, as far as red versus blue. In other words, they're conservative. And, and it's unfortunate that a lot of places get a bad rap because the cities sway a lot of things. But I want you to understand when you go back here, they're looking for a Messiah. Um, they bear record. They said, Behold, the world has gone after him. Look at chapter eleven, verse forty eight. Chapter eleven, verse forty eight. Well, verse forty seven, then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council, and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. What are they worried about? The truth? They're worried about their place. They're worried about their nation. And that's all they're concerned about. Listen, you have got to make sure in your life what you're most concerned about is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to make sure you're most concerned about other people knowing that you have that relationship and that you are trying to help them have that same relationship that should have changed your life in a very real way. Look at um, Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, this is where I told you they delivered him for envy, but I want you to see it for yourself Because here's a a lost man in Mark chapter 15, um, verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, which which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews?' For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that they should rather release Barabbas unto them. What a mess. A murderer instead of the Savior. A man that had committed horrendous uh, things versus a man that had committed no sin whatsoever. What was the impetus behind it? Envy. Envy. Uh, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I did a lengthy study on, um, on envy, and I started it in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible says, And again, I considered all travail and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. For doing a right work, people envy you. But that's the way it is. What do you do? How do you respond? That tells a lot about who and what you are. You know what we need? We need character. We need character to say, listen, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. As long as your heart is right, as long as your motive is right, you can't get wrapped up in it. So when I look at this study that I did many years ago, I took people to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 34, and, I, and it shows jealousy is the rage of a man. That's what the Bible says. Acts chapter uh, two verse nine, Joseph was sold into Egypt because of envy. You go all the way back to Joseph in the book of Genesis, and it, and it tells you that in Acts chapter two, why did his brothers sell him into slavery because of envy? And Joseph is a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. Psalm 106, verse 16, they envied Moses and Aaron. Here's Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He's the leader. He's the one God's chosen. And what's the problem? They envied him. They envied him. Uh, I told you Mark chapter 15, verse 10, for envy they crucified the Lord. Um, look at Acts chapter 13 verse 44 Acts chapter 13 verse 44 look at what the Bible says here it says and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God but when the Jews saw the multitudes they were filled with Envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So here you got Jesus being crucified because of envy. You got Moses envied. You got got Joseph envied. And then you got Paul preaching the truth after the crucifixion. And the multitudes come together. And what happens is they look at the multitudes and they say, We don't get a crowd like that. We've done everything we can do to try to get everybody excited. And, and Paul comes in here and all he does is preach. And for envy, they contradicted what Paul was saying. They lied and they blasphemed against God because of that. And here's the point. Here's the point. Why do things happen to you? Why do people do things to you? Why do people treat you wrong? If you're talking about the Lord, if you're standing for Christ, it could be because they're envious could be because you have a relationship that they don't have. How do you deal with that? You don't hate them. You realize that people do what they do because people are people. We're all sinners. Some of us saved by grace, some of us not saved. And what we have to do is we have to try to figure out how do I overlook their faults and their failings? You know, one of the biggest things that changed me was to realize that I would look at people and I would, I would say, well, they're doing this and they're wrong, I'm right, therefore I, can, I justified that I could uh, be cruel back or I could say things back. You have to get over that. The Bible says, why do you not suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why do you not rather take wrong?" I gave A friend of mine asked me for some advice not long ago, and the situation was pretty precarious. It was a family situation. They, this person was right. And I listened probably 30 minutes. I said, look, I'm going to give you a difficult answer. And I gave, I gave that verse. I said, I'm going to tell you that regardless of whether you're 100% right, and let's just say you're 95% right, you still should go to them, overlook it, and ap- and I said, "Do this. Is there anything that you wished was different? Not that you did wrong, and you apologize to say, "I'm sorry I did this wrong," because that would be a lie. You look at it and you go, "I'm sorry that you reacted that way to what I said. I'm sorry I caused that reaction." Can you do that? Do you know that if we could do that, we would actually keep relationships longer? You want to have a good marriage? Sometimes you say you're wrong, and then sometimes you apologize even when you're not wrong. Excuse me, I didn't say, say you're wrong when you're not wrong. I'm not saying that. We men can't do that. <laughs> you women can't do that. You women can't. Listen, we ought to be honest. But can you figure out a way to say the right thing? And that is, I'm sorry that what I said hurt you. Did you say something wrong? Not necessarily. Did they get hurt? Yes. Can you say, I'm sorry that what I said hurt you? And you know what happened? I, I got a I got a thing back, said, Hey, we went over there on Easter and this, this, and this, and we did this, and yeah, it still was it still was tense. And I was like, Amen, glory, hallelujah. I mean, wow, that that's what it's all about. Because you know, we you know, I listen, this is the way I was especially when some things were going on, I was like I'm right. Why do I have to give an inch? What's that? Pride. Why do I have to give one inch? You know what's the most convicting thing? Is when the spouse apologizes knowing that you're also partly wrong. You know what you have to do? I'm sorry too. It never happens with us because we've got the perfect marriage and we never fight. <laughs> I don't want you to get the wrong idea that I'm talking about our relationship. I'm talking about yours. <laughs> I just want you to know, look, the whole thing about preaching is to try to help people to get along. Live, you know, just, just live together. You know, marriage is a difficult thing. It's not easy to be married to somebody else. Um, and, and listen, opposites attract. You know, men can't figure out women. Women can't figure out men. I was telling a story yesterday. My, my wife and I are both uh, directionally challenged. I'm also vertically challenged, but we're directionally challenged. And so she said, she, we're coming up and we're going to a restaurant. She says, well, don't you need to go right? And I, I'm sort of laughing. I said, I, I, I said to Brother Jeff, I said, if she says go right, I go left. And I do, because we're both like that. If, even if I'm thinking I need to go right and she says go right, we're both directionally challenged. I go left. Now, she's getting better. I don't know how she's doing it. I've got to figure out, because every now and then we'll go into a neighborhood and she'll say, oh, you need to turn left right here. And doggone if she's not right. Doesn't make sense if you go left and she's right. But. <laughs> it, is correct. it is correct. It is correct. But let's, let's go back to Acts chapter, or John chapter 12. Let me, let me bring this into a, a close. Look at verse 20. And there were certain Greeks, these are Gentiles, among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, We would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, but they came up and they said, We would see Jesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 45. Chapter 1, verse 45. John chapter 1, verse 45 says, Philip findeth Nathanael, and you can actually go back to a couple of verses, but verse 43, the day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael... And said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing that cometh out of Nazareth? Philip said, Come and see. Come and see. And one more verse. I want you to go to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Back there in John it said we would see Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering says, but we see Jesus. Have you ever seen Jesus? I mean, that's, that's what it's about. Now, you don't see Him physically. Have you ever seen Jesus? You know what you ought, to, you ought to be able to do? You ought to be able to look at people that have Jesus in their heart, and you ought to be able to see Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. I want people to know that I've been with Jesus. I want people to know that He changed my life 42 years ago. I failed Him time and time and time again. But when people see me, I want them to know that I've been with Him. And I want them to be able to see Him through me, through who and what I am. Even when I fail, I've got to get back up, get back, in tra- get back on track as quick as I can. Because I want people to see Jesus. Let's all stand together. Bow your head and close your eyes, and let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for your many blessings. I ask that you guide, lead, and direct during this invitation time. Lord, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, get together and to open up thy word, to study it, and to understand the things that you'd have us to understand. We just pray you have your will and your way during the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Your head bowed and eyes closed. The pianist plays.